A vaccine-preventable illness sweeps across the country. Cries from public health officials for mandatory vaccinations lead to cries from civil libertarians. Is this a story from today's headlines? No, it's the story of smallpox in America. Welcome to ReachMD Book Club. I'm your host, Dr. John Russell, and I'm joined today by Professor Michael Wilrich to discuss his book, Pox in American History, winner of the William Welch Medal for the History of Medicine. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Smallpox certainly has been a big part of American history. Can you comment on that? Uh, well, from the uh, really the first settlement of, of Europeans in the Americas, smallpox spread very rapidly among the indigenous populations of the Americas. It was you know part of this sort of great onslaught of uh, European microbes that decimated much of the pre-contact population of the Americas. During the colonial period, there were periodic epidemics in American cities, leaving uh, you know thousands dead in their wakes. And this continued into the 19th century. But what, what changed uh, over time was the development of an effective vaccine uh, that could actually prevent epidemics. But surprisingly, that vaccine also generated new controversies, which are really the subject of my book. So how fatal was smallpox traditionally? Uh, historically, smallpox killed about 25 to 30 percent of people who became infected with it. So vaccine controversies seem to date back to Cotton Mather in Boston. Mm. So there the conflict from, you're referring to the Boston uh, epidemic of the 17. 17- 20s, I believe it was. And the conflict there wasn't precisely over vaccination. It was over an earlier technology called inoculation. Uh, So vaccination involves using live vaccinia material, which is actually a disease, a virus that's different from the variola virus, which causes actual smallpox. Um, And using vaccinia produces a reaction in, in the human body um, that can make you a little bit sick, but um, not not nearly as sick as uh, smallpox itself. And in the process, uh, vaccination will confer immunity in the, the human system for five to seven years, sometimes longer. Um, back in the 1720s, they were actually using live smallpox virus itself. Uh, and so uh, it was a very... It could be very, very effective, but also was was very dangerous. You could actually create a much wider epidemic through using variolation. Yeah. Um, but there were there was a lot of concern among the public about using uh, variolation in its own time. Yeah, there's an interesting scene in the John in the John Adams miniseries on HBO that you right. saw the variolization kind of going on uh, that the Adams had done, and and I think a lot of our kind of U.S. Uh, history heroes actually had done. So what was Edward Jenner? How did Edward Jenner kind of change the game? So Edward Jenner is given, uh, he was an English country doctor who's given credit for taking what was a common sort of folk treatment among uh, rural people in England who recognized that uh, milkmaids who had uh, sores on their hands consistent with cowpox, that those milkmaids who had been exposed to this bovine disease, cowpox, that subsequently exposed to smallpox, they didn't catch it. And so Jenner actually began the sort of process of inoculating healthy people with cowpox, 
with a live virus taken from the sores uh, on the bottom of, of cows infected with cowpox. And it actually worked, um, introduced in the human system by uh, scraping the arm and, and um, uh, dabbing on this live cowpox matter produced a reaction and an immune reaction that, that could confer immunity for a long time. So what then happened over kind of the next hundred years with regard to vaccination in the United States? Well, in the course of the 19th century, the big sort of legal issue around smallpox uh, vaccine was whether or not you could use taxpayer funds to pay for a vaccine. And it, the, the question of compulsion was not a very live issue um, until the late 19th century, at which point, um, in an era of uh, growing administrative and interventionist government at, at really every level of the American political system, from the locals to the state to the federal government, more and more political bodies started to order people to get vaccinated during epidemics. Um, so school children became routinely required to get vaccinated in order to enter the public schools. Workers on work sites might be required by their employers to be vaccinated during times of an epidemic. Evidence of a successful vaccination became a requirement for entering the United States. That was, was policed at Ellis Island and other points of entry. So there's, uh, what, what really changed over the 19th century was an increasing resort to compulsion. The smallpox epidemics of the late 19th century did seem a little bit different in, in kind of how, how virulent they were. Yes. Yeah, so the uh, the drama, really at the heart of, of my story, which takes place um, in a great wave of smallpox epidemics spread across the United States from 1897, 1898 until 1902, 1903. The mystery at the center of these epidemics was the spread of a new form of the virus, now known as variola minor, which was much less deadly than historical smallpox. So if, if, if classical smallpox killed about a third of all people it infected, this new form of the virus typically killed from 1% to 2%. Um, the symptoms were less severe, kind of across the board. So ordinary people seeing this new disease spreading through their communities were uh, you know less likely to recognize it as smallpox, and and to accept that that they they really needed to be vaccinated, and that this was a real public emergency. But public health officials recognized the disease as some form of smallpox, and they were very concerned that if left unattended, that this disease would spread across the country and would revert back into virulent smallpox and 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 kill tens of thousands of Americans. So you had a kind of clash of understandings about what this disease was. And meanwhile, epidemics of the older, severe type of smallpox, killing 20 to 30 percent of the people it infected, spread in places like New York, where more than 700 people died, and Boston, where nearly 300 people died, and Philadelphia, I think there were about 400 dead um, New Orleans, 500. So you had different kinds of epidemics popping up in different places and producing a real, a lot of confusion and a lot of conflict. So at that period in American history, what was public health in the United States? Well, it depended where you were. So in uh, New York, there was a sort of recognizably modern public health bureaucracy emerging 
with health inspectors who inspected food and inspected tenements and the like. And this, the New York Board of Health had the capacity to create its own vaccine and, uh, and also to produce diphtheria antitoxin, which it did and, and, and it could sell on the market. But more commonly in a smaller town community, uh, particularly in the South, where smallpox was, was most epidemic during these years, um, a board of health might just consist of a couple of local doctors who had been appointed for that purpose and suddenly find themselves in an emergency and needing to take action. You're listening to ReachMD. I'm John Russell, and I'm speaking with Professor Michael Wilrich of Brandeis University about his book, Pox in American History. So there were some problems with some of the early vaccines, were there not? So during this period, there was a real contradiction in American public health law, and this is something that Americans were sort of keenly aware of. And that was that the government could compel people to be vaccinated and and create various penalties for vaccine refusal, ranging from criminal penalties to even, um, in some cases, you know, forcible vaccinations that took place in various uh, settings. There was a contradiction between that level of compulsion and the fact that the government did virtually nothing to ensure that the vaccines on the American market were safe and effective. So the vaccine manufacturing, the vaccine industry was almost entirely unregulated at the start of the 20th century, the very time when vaccines were being made compulsory. And so it's no surprise that vaccines, which were uh, as much a product of the the stable as the laboratory, they were produced by harvesting this sort of pus from the sores of on the bottom of uh, infected calves. Um, it's, it's no surprise that those vaccines be, could become tainted by various impurities, including, in the worst cases, tetanus. Um, so there was an outbreak of tetanus in Camden, New Jersey, following extensive compulsory vaccination in that town in uh, 1902, 1903, which led to the deaths of nine children. And parents understandably made a connection between the vaccine and and the death of their children, uh, which led to this huge controversy and, and ultimately helped to result in the passage of the Federal Biologics Control Act in 1902, which established the first system of federal licensing and regulation of the vaccine industry. And that's you know, one of the positive outcomes of this um, wave of epidemics. So there, there were a lot of physicians involved in the anti-vaccine movement, were there not? Yeah, the anti-vaccination movement, the formal movement, uh, which included people who really became ideologically committed to the idea that compulsory vaccination was unconstitutional, unlawful, and a crime. The leaders of that movement in the American states were very often people with the word doctor at the front of their names. They were quite typically practitioners of what came to be known as alternative forms of medicine, such as homeopathy or osteopathy, um, various natural curing systems that had become quite popular during the 19th century in America, but had been marginalized by the rise of state licensing in the late 19th century. So for those doctors, anti-vaccinationism often involved, it was part of a larger campaign against what they called state medicine, 
which involved the regulation of their medical practices. But they also thought that vaccination was was dangerous and that that it was important for people to have choice um, and, and what they called medical freedom. So this went all the way to the Supreme Court, did it not? Well, yes, and this is how my research into this whole subject really began. I was very interested in the dynamics of um, so national security and individual liberty. That's, I was, began this research in a sort of post-9-11 moment when those questions were very much at the center of American political debate. And I knew about this case uh, from some of my legal history classes, um, a case called Jacobson versus Massachusetts, where in 1905, the Supreme Court of the United States was asked to rule on the question, was a, com- a state-level compulsory vaccination law constitutional? And the Supreme Court decided that it was, that um, it was within the general police powers of the state um, those powers uh, which give the states the right as sovereigns to um, regulate individual liberty and property rights in the name of the general welfare, that it was in with, within those powers for states to compel citizens to get vaccinated in order to prevent an epidemic that threatened all. It's a kind of extraordinary case, and uh, and it was widely cited at the time and, and actually ended up being the, the principal precedent for the 1927 case of Buck versus Bell, which upheld um, as constitutional the eugenical sterilization laws, which many states had passed in the 1920s. Um, so some of the more sort of dangerous implications of, of compulsory vaccination were sort of borne out by the use of that Supreme Court decision in later cases. So worldwide, how did the smallpox story end in the 1970s? Yeah, so there was a, a, a massive international effort involving, um, in a kind of leadership role, um, the United States and the Soviet Union. The United States provided much of the sort of technological and financial support. The Soviet Union manufactured much of the vaccine in an extraordinary level of international cooperation, not just between those Cold War uh, superpowers, but also with public health departments in countries around the globe. They uh, went after smallpox and using targeted quarantines of areas where smallpox was breaking out and also supplemented with extensive vaccination the virus was eventually uh, killed off in the human population around the globe. By 1980, the World Health Organization declared that smallpox is dead. Oh, what a great story. So hopefully polio is next. Thank you so much for being on the, on the show. It's a really terrific book for anyone who really likes, you know, the controversies that are going on now, because you certainly see some parallel of kind of public health against personal liberty. So thank you so much for being on the show. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. This is Dr. John Russell. If you missed any of this discussion and want to hear other programs in this series, please visit ReachMD.com, where you can download the podcast and learn more about this series. Thanks for listening.